0: You're listening to CivCast on the Kyle Dempster Studios Network. Support us on Patreon at patreon.com forward slash CivCast. Hello everybody and welcome back to a new episode of CivCast. My name is Kyle and this week I am not joined by our co-host Dan. Pause, crickets, Dan. And hello,
1: Valter. Welcome hey, to the show. Hey Kyle, good to be here. Good to be here.
0: Uh, you, it's look at you. You got a promotion. You got a bigger, bigger icon there on the, uh, on the screen. So how's that feel?
1: Oh, it feels so good! I can't tell you how good
0: that actually feels. Uh, it's it's a it's a massive promotion in the world. Uh, but we also want to call out that Dan will be Dan is not here today due to family commitments, but he will be here next week. However, at the same time that Valter is getting promoted today, he gets demoted next week because he's not on the show. So yeah. take that.
1: <laughs> it's to keep me in place, so I, I so I don't step out of my breeches.
0: That's exactly it. We don't want you to get too ahead of yourself, so we gotta alternate it. Uh, but we got some cool things to talk about today. Uh, some cool community questions we got from Reddit, and also some other things to shout out. I'm gonna flip it over. If you're watching us on the live stream, uh, you're gonna see here we just partnered with a cool group called Pod Chaser. They're in beta at the moment, uh, and it is a podcast discovery sort of. System, because that's something I don't know. I'm assuming most of our people out there found us as a podcast first, since we've only been live streaming for like two weeks or something, uh, three weeks. So if you're a podcast listener, it's likely that you've had trouble finding other podcasts. I mean, the Apple app is not good for discovery. You can either find it on the main page of the app, or if you search it, you have to be very specific. Um, And this service is kind of something that's trying to beat that. Uh so again, it's you can go to it well, it's podchaser.com. There's a beta in front of it. But we got you guys hooked up with keys. So if you want to actually go in and start using this service early, uh, you're gonna be able to use the key Civcast beta, all one word. So our name plus B-E-T-A at the end. And you're gonna be able to log in. Um for people watching live stream, you're gonna see here it's got uh, it's only one day old they literally opened the beta yesterday so brand new Um, but you can rate episodes which is awesome that's going to help with some discovery and you can actually help uh, everyone by tagging episodes which is pretty cool let me see if i can show that off here civcast go over here find our show and then uh, these episodes let's see how do you tag them i did it once yesterday as a test. Uh, okay, maybe go into it. Uh, you guys are gonna have fun doing this, but there's reviews. Uh, if I save it... No, rate it. Oh, okay, go into rate it. You can tell them how much you love the episode. Uh, you can write a review, and then you can put tags in here. And these tags could be very useful within the CivCast context. Like, if we talk about wonders one week, you can tag it as wonders. And so say their notes. That stuff should help within the show. So, not just throughout their whole architecture but it should help within the show Um, meaning you could kind of tag co-hosts I think at some point so for example Dan wouldn't get credit for being on this episode uh, but if you know but for the other episodes he gets credit and uh, I don't know it's definitely in beta definitely getting some bugs worked out I don't know how that's visually displaying yet so I'm kind of just talking theory at the moment but Super, super cool. So we partnered with them. Like I said, you can use the the uh, the code CivCastBeta, and you can find their website. It is, uh, let's see, I think it's just PodChaser.com for you guys. PodChaser.com. Oh, wait, I spelled that wrong. Technical difficulties, everybody, as Kyle learns to spell.
1: Yeah. Uh, spelling is a difficult thing.
0: Yeah, you, you just go to PodChaser, podchase com, and it takes you right where you need to be.
1: So feel free to set up an account.
0: Valtzer, did you get a chance to play with this at all?
1: I did not yet. I still have to sign up for my account, but I definitely will, because I'm not that much of a podcast listener. I I think I started with Civcast, literally. (laughs) And uh, this will actually help me get into it a little bit more, because I do like podcasts. When I take a walk or something like that, instead of listening to music, I, I, I found out that listening to podcasts is really nice.
0: That's how I do it, man. I I, uh, listen to him on public transportation, taking the dog on a walk. It's uh, a fun way to do it. Yeah, I I hope you get in there just at least to poke around for a minute. These guys seem really, really cool. Uh, Also, we had a big issue. If you remember back in a couple, I don't even know if you were on full time at this point, Valter, but we had issues with TuneIn. Yeah, I think you had just started maybe. TuneIn wasn't um, syndicating all the episodes. And the same thing happened with this yesterday, and the guys fixed it in a couple hours. So I really like them. Nice. Go check them out. Go rate the show. Give us some love. Speaking of love, huge shout out to uh, people on Patreon. Our Patreon has officially uh, overcome our last stretch goal that we had up there. So we got to come up with some new goals for you guys. If you have anything in mind that uh, you want us to do or want to see coming, please let us know. Otherwise, we're going to be brainstorming. Uh, but I wanted to shout out that in the last week, voucher strategy session is up there for June, and uh, apologies for the delay, we got Dan's historical extra up there for May. So if you are a subscriber, go check those episodes out and uh, let us know your thoughts. Voucher, do you want to kind of give a shout out to what you talked about last week?
1: Yes, I talked about one of the victory types that people either hate or They love. I love it. It's a religious victory. How to build up your religion, how to make sure that you get a religion on higher difficulties. People seem to have problems with that usually uh, because the AI also really likes to have a religion. And uh, how you can deal with the large spam of missionaries and apostles that you usually see coming your way and actually make sure that your religion is prevalent
0: that is awesome I uh, these these things have been awesome and we've gotten such good feedback from it so voucher, thank you again for taking part of that and uh, one quick shout out before we get right into the business here but wanted to say uh, big thanks to our partners over at Non-Toxic Gaming we love these guys we uh, just announced this last week but we partnered with them to make the internet a more friendly place so you can check them out it's non there's a whole list of awesome content creators that you should go follow on Twitch and YouTube and Twitter and all of those lovely things so we made it up there a, as a helper outer. Um, and it's just cool to bring some uh, positivity to the community here. Absolutely. Now, with all of that said, Valtor, that is all of our stuff, uh, all of our preamble. Uh, so want to I give, I guess, I don't know, is this a preamble too? But just to remind people that the Civcast Challenge is up there, you can check it out on our subreddit. Uh, we've had a couple awesome posts from people. Uh, so that's very, very exciting that people are already completing it. We've got a lot of turnout for just being the, what, second week of the month?
1: We're, we're, yeah, yeah I mean I was last week so uh, it's, it's super quick
0: yeah I mean people are really kicking butt on that so just to give a quick recap you're playing as either Norway or Samaria uh, your opponents you can choose any of the seven opponents their map type is either Pangea if you're Norway or Islands if you're Samaria Uh, We're doing a standard map size, standard speed, standard resources, victory type. If you are Norway, you are going science, and if you are Sumeria, you are going religious. Uh, And we're just doing Emperor difficulty as usual with the dates uh, completing on the 25th of June. So I like that. That is such a cool setup for the CivCast challenge, uh, giving them a choice. I'm still not
1: sure which one I should play, uh, Norway or Sumeria. I'm still not decided. Both are really interesting like Sumeria for the religious victory, but Norway as a science victory—that sounds—that sounds maybe more difficult. And maybe I should do that.
0: Uh that sounds like a good one. I don't know either is good. They're so mm. so 50 If we got people listening live in in chat, you guys should tell Valter what you think he should do. Cast cast your
1: vote for who he should play, <laughs> or you can just tell me on the Reddit which one because I probably will be live streaming my attempt again. Oh, good. Uh, nearing the end of the the month uh depending on, i'm not sure exactly but when but i probably will so if, tell me what you want to see and if i go sumeria i will name my religion something like broken or something like that, something cool because that's what i like to see
0: you asked for it and someone came up with a very similar one to that i forget what it was it was uh bro something bro bro mania i don't know
1: I haven't I haven't seen it yet. Oh, but I will oh. definitely look at it.
0: Yeah, check it out in the uh, in the subreddit when you get the chance. Oh
1: yeah, bromianity, bromianity, that, that, that's perfect. Thank S- you.
0: See, people are taking your advice. They're heeding they're heeding
1: your words. Caleb so, the young, you are my hero. Speaking of
0: heeding people's words on Reddit, uh, we got a couple questions to address this week. So, Walter, um, do you want to actually set these questions up since you're a little bit more in charge of that and I feel like I just spoke for 15 minutes straight?
1: <laughs> <laughs> we we talked together. But yes, uh, there was like, because Dan is not here, uh, what do you want to see a little bit? Uh, and uh talked with us and VT Matt as well. And what they pretty much both of them really liked to talk about is uh, unique tile improvements. Um, how do you use them? Do you use them? and uh, which ones are good ones and which one are well not so good ones pretty much i guess is is the thing that uh they would like to know and i mean for me it's really easy which one is the good one and and kyle do, do you have a guess which one is a really good one
0: uh well i wouldn't have had you not tipped me off pre-show but i'm gonna say the good one is uh probably the australian outback station it is really good what if you I, switched I that it. up on me like what if you tricked me
1: Oh, I should have. Oh, dang it. Let let me. Well, then I, I'm going to rewind myself a little bit. And it depends on the victory type that you're going for. Because if you are going for a cultural victory type, there might actually be one that is even better, and that is the the special one from Cyrus, which I also really like. Do you remember which one Cyrus has, Gal?
0: Uh, no, to bit. I, I'm too I'm too new with Cyrus. I. It's the Paradisia. Yeah, I wouldn't have guessed that. Let's let's
1: check it out. Uh, but the Paradisia gives you extra culture, extra gold, and extra appeal. And uh, it will also generate more culture and even tourism as you advance to the civic tree a little bit. And if you're trying to go for like a cultural victory type kind of thing, the Paradisia is really awesome if you build it uh, along your coast a little bit as well so that you can use that extra appeal, because plus two appeal, plus two appeal is really good. Um, You can use that to build more seaside resorts in places that normally wouldn't have that much appeal yet. And since it's also producing culture and tourism by itself already, uh, that's going to be amazing. That's super powerful. Um, Yeah, I, I love it. And if you compare it off with a holy site and theater, the culture goes even higher. I believe that the tourism output that it gives you is the same as the cultural output that it gives you. So standard, it will be one. But by tech, somewhere in the middle of the tree, you will get another culture out of it. So that's already two tourism. That's that's a pretty nice deal. And if you pair it with a commercial hub, I think, oh no, holy sites and theaters, uh, then it will even produce more culture and thus more tourism. So if you want to stack that up with uh, al- pretty much along the coast, because the coastline is where the prime territory will be for your uh, seaside resorts, and they are difficult to place usually. But with this this building, it actually becomes a lot easier.
0: And I think we're getting kind of at a larger question here that we had, which is, How do you decide what you're actually going to place? When, where, how, and why? Kind of all the questions. Because people in Civ 6, uh, because Civ 6 throws, I think, a bit more... Actually, Civ 6 definitely throws more of this question at us than Civ 5. We now worry about placing down districts, which are non-removable tile improvements. So if you place down a campus, you better love where you put that campus... And uh, hopefully you've thought ahead enough to kind of maximize the bonuses that you get from it. At least this is kind of what I got from the questions we had over a little bit on Reddit here. I, th- I think this was kind of what it was getting at a little bit deeper down in the yeah. idea of starting early game. And I'm kind of throwing in some of my thoughts in this too, Valder. So um, hopefully I'm not blindsiding you with this. But Civ 6 mm-hmm. to me feels like it had a little bit more of that learning curve. We talked about this way earlier on in the day or way, way early on in the, in the beginning of Civ cast, um, that you kind of need to know what to expect if you want to master these things. And you said something great off air that I hadn't even fully put into my brain yet, which is you're kind of changing the idea that you're not building commercial hubs now on coastal cities that are going with dockyards, for example, or, or, or harbors uh yeah. because you are taking in that that higher accountability that what I'm, I'm guessing here you correct me if i'm wrong but you're assuming now that you're not building the commercial hubs because the dockyard or the the harbor gives you a trade route is that right you're not trying well, they to double both up
1: give a trade route and you, you don't get both if you build both unless you're england which is uh-huh. US boom. but you have to make the choice like you can go only get one trade route out of either two of the districts Mm -hmm. and so you have to make a choice do I build a commercial district in this or a harbor because doing both will yield less return pretty much because you're wasting part of their ability and districts are limited, you have to make the choice so for every city that's not on the coast that can't build a harbor it's an easy choice, you want to get that commercial hub for that trade route because trade routes are amazing Yep. But if you're on the coast, then the harbor all of a sudden becomes, in my opinion, the better choice these these days, especially if your city is literally on the coast. Mm -hmm. The adjacency bonus with the city center is pretty huge. You can get an adjacency bonus from some sea resources usually. That Mm -hmm. helps as well. But the buildings inside the harbor are better, in my opinion, than the buildings inside the commercial hub for giving extra food and, and gold and production and stuff like that. And with that, I think I like the harbor better than a commercial hub. If I had to choose it, um, on um, if I choose it uh, on a city that's on the coast, also because, like you alluded to already, um, you only have so much places to put your districts, uh-huh. and uh, a harbor is on the sea where you. Generally, don't place anything else. So all of a sudden, you have extra space next to your city where normally a commercial hub would be.
0: See, now that's very interesting, and it gets it gets it kind of, I guess, the root of where I was trying to take it, and I tangented my myself, which is if you and I, I don't know, I, I think we have a we have a mix here of listeners, some that are are newer to Civilization Six, some that haven't actually really even played Civ Six yet, which I find very interesting. We have some listeners that that um, are are people just kind of planning out buying it at some point down the line and they're still playing Civ Five, um,
1: and, and we have a,
0: a mix of people that are very veteran to Civ Six at this point, as veteran as you can be. So I guess what I'm trying to get out here is that some aspects of this game, just like that, I wouldn't have even thought to not build a commercial hub in a district that I'm now building a harbor. These decisions are ones that are finite, like you just said. You, um, ha- Your your amount of districts is limited by the population that you have. Uh, you want to kind of maximize your location of it. And then to bring in this whole other level here, which people are asking, are unique tile improvements, ones that you're actually going and building because your civilization brings that ability, like we said with the Australians and the Outback Station. And uh, you're balancing that now with districts on top of it. You know, in, in Civ 5, you were just worried about the tile improvement that you'd build. Um, you'd build a farm, you'd build whatever else, you'd build a fort, you'd do something like that. But now uh, we also have wonders competing for these spaces too. So I think we're getting a balance question here at the heart of it as to what do you do? Do you focus? Are you, I guess we're always plotting out for our districts. Uh, you know, you're, you're kind of trying to determine what districts that you want first and then after that, I'm guessing you're filling in uh, unique tile improvements if you have those. Is that kind of your mindset to it, voucher
1: uh, Not necessarily, because you also don't want to neglect your your basic infrastructure. Uh, mm-hmm. The Paradisia is, is pretty awesome if you want to go for a culture victory, but it doesn't help your, your net economy that much as mm-hmm. in production and food wise. You still want to keep your city strong and able to do those kinds of things as well. So... With the limited uses that a builder has in this game, Phyrex uh, has really changed. And they, they did it before the, before the game was launched. During the, all the hype, they were talking about, we want to make the choices that you make matter more. Mm-hmm. And they did that with districts that are non-replaceable. Once you put them down, they're there forever. Even if you made a mistake, people don't like that, but... I, I kind of do because it does make the de- decisions that you have to make so much more important and you have to think about it more. And if you do it right, then it's so much more rewarding. I think that
0: that's a good way to put that. I I
1: think um, that I,
0: at some points, uh, get almost paralyzed with fear as to where I'm going to put some of these districts. I mean, I'm talking, that's kind of grandiose in, in the verbiage there. But um, I think that there are times when I... I decide to hold off on a certain district placement because I'm trying to see if the resources are correctly going to line up and that my math is right. Uh, But I think you also brought up a great point that is, I've noticed more now than ever, I am neglecting building farms because I am trying to focus on the more fine-tuning stuff, which is not probably a great idea. And I think that's kind of what some of these questions here are asking is – like for example, VT Matt saying, "I don't often build many unique tile improvements, as I find it hard to sacrifice precious tiles when it means giving up farm triangles, juicy hammer slots, etc." So he's on the opposite end of the spectrum to me, but we're having the same problem, which is he's saying, "I I would prefer to have my farm triangle," and I'm saying, "Forget the farm triangle. I got to put in a couple more mines because they might have be they might give my uh, industrial hub." Or, uh, zone, some more adjacency bonus. And it's kind of hurting me in doing that, but I find it very interesting that these these people are asking the same questions that I'm asking myself just kind of in reverse and that's just speaking to one, one poster here.
1: I mean, it does matter on your playstyle, like how do you use your builder users? Uh, he clearly prioritizes his internal economy as in hammers and food. Mm-hmm. Well, uh, you do that as well, but uh, for maximizing the output of your, your industrial zone, for example. Mm-hmm. And I think the key is indeed that since we are so used, many of us at least, from every Civ iteration before that, that once you build a Builder, you can do so many things with it, we are still struggling a little bit with how do we really use this Builder, all these hammers that I put into him effectively. Mm -hmm. And I think the, the, the true answer to that is you do a bit of all. Like, it is okay to give up a farming triangle If you're not going to use it with that city, for example, it really depends on the city, like, do I have a city that has lots of planes that give enough food already? Do I really need a couple of extra farms or could I be better off boosting some hammers first so that I can build another worker with it? and uh, get those farms up later on. And I think with that is something that I usually do in my games as well, is I don't build builders so often as and I build them in waves. I switch a policy out that gives the builders some extra actions. Mm -hmm. And when that that policy is active, I build a shit ton of of builders. Mm. I just build, uh, like in four or five of my cities, one of those workers so that they can Do a large scale improvement of the land, pretty much, Mm -hmm. and then I just take the policy away because after that it does it doesn't do anything for me anymore. You can pre-build workers pretty much till like there's one turn left, um, switch out to something else until all the building, uh, all the cities are ready for that builder push, and just push out a couple of those guys and uh, increase your infrastructure throughout your whole land.
0: See That's that's a very interesting concept because I, I, I don't really play with that um, idea, not in the forefront of my mind, the idea of kind of pre-building, which makes sense. I mean, you could easily get some of these builders ready to go in multiple cities and then not actually produce them until you have a good policy slot in. That's something I didn't think about. Um, I have to say, I well, I, I guess recently I haven't been playing too, too many civilizations that are focused on these um unique tile improvements but for example like we're saying with the awesome australian outback station i mean at least with that station i feel like you're very much beating out uh some of the more generic improvements like a farm right like let's see australia do you remember what it gives you uh, off the top of your head
1: valter for it gives you plus one food and plus one production and for every food uh plus one food for every adjacent posture and with some advances in uh, tech, it, it even goes up in food and production. So if you're thinking about replacing it with a farm, then usually the answer is yes, this is this is a very fine replacement for a farm mm-hmm. because I also get production out of it. So for, for Australia, it's it's a bit easier right. because uh, it just improves your general economy already. While for most other unique building types, um, it gives different things than you would get normally from a farm or a mine, for example.
0: Exactly. That's, I think, that that's kind of getting you... Yeah, you hit it right on the head when I was trying to get towards there, but I forgot the stats for it, which are pretty important, uh, which is... That this is more of a, a direct upgrade to a farm. I mean, you're getting the plus one production. or you are getting plus one food? But then you get the plus one production. Plus, you're benefiting from the pastures that are nearby. You're benefiting from every two adjacent outback stations. But you know, I, I think with the example we used earlier with Cyrus, that gets a little bit harder because you're looking more at food and or you're, you're looking at uh money and uh, what was money and culture there. Tourism. Yeah. Yes. And that's a harder trade-off, uh, I think, just on a you know on a flat scale. You know, you you aren't able to just do a farm upgrade, uh, which is what the Outback Station is. In this case, you're saying, okay, well, I'm not going to go with a food route. Um, I'm you know I'm going to go with something more gold based and more culture based and more tourism based. I think these things are a very fine balance uh, and. And it's something I'm having some trouble striking still in Civ Six. is I find my approach to some cities is just too much of a blanket approach. I want to throw down the commercial hub and the industrial zone and and maybe a harbor, but I find now I'm neglecting more than ever uh, things like the campus and things like the theater district. Uh, And and I know that this was part of the question, which is why I'm kind of trying to tie back my ramblings a bit to that, but saying... um, what, you know, what what are the ones that you tend, uh, what are districts that you focus on in terms of victory type? I mean, so, Valtteri, if you're going to go for a science victory, are you doing a, uh, a, a campus in every single city, or are you uh, still balancing that with some other things, like maybe an encampment here or there in case you have to prep for a war? How, how do you work that?
1: So, encampments are really important buildings that are districts that are usually overlooked they can create huge bottlenecks that make the advancements of your of the enemy super difficult because mm-hmm. you can just park a range unit in there if you have walls in the city or you have I believe civil works that gives walls to every city um, that makes it a very annoying place if you find a mountain pass for example with only one tile placed and encampment in there that's very hard to breach it's almost like a second city that you have to take before they can actually come to your true city so So they are really important to actually be built, I think, but only in key strategic locations. Mm -hmm. You don't necessarily need an encampment in the core of your territory because there's not going to be a lot of enemies coming there unless that's your place where you pump out your your units. You don't want to have an encampment there. Um, But going back to the question you asked is, do I build uh, campus districts in all my cities? Mm -hmm. I tend to build campus districts in nearly all my cities, it, it depends a little bit if, if there is no real good spot that and it already suffers from production uh, problems and stuff like that, then maybe I would like to build a builder first and actually work up the infrastructure around the city more. But I think uh, talking about like the farming triangles and stuff like that, I would happily give up a farm triangle if that makes my spot for a campus so much better because... Mm. I will be running the policy that gives double the adjacency bonuses, for example. So that makes a, a, such a huge swing in how much uh, science you get out of that adjacency bonuses that it is absolutely worth it to give up a farming triangle, in my opinion.
0: Yeah, it, I. So that makes total sense. I mean, you're, you're you're focusing on on your victory type there. You're you're willing to sacrifice some of the more generic types of uh, uh of 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 adjacency bonuses like you said like giving up the farming triangle um i don't know i i just it's something i struggle with and I'm, I'm gonna try and get better at this i think some of this helps i think if people um have specific questions these these are are great things to discuss back and forth because there is a lot of theory crafting behind this especially things that go on both on our subreddit i see you get a lot of questions akin to this and i, I especially see a lot of them um in the actual like civ reddit overall um, I've seen people asking what they should build where. Um, I kind of like those where people like pause a game, take a screenshot, and they'll post it up there saying, <laughs> "What do you guys think I should do next here?" Um, but it, it, these this idea of this, these permanent districts are are something like you said we haven't really faced this before, and I, I I wonder how it's affecting people's gameplay overall. I mean, clearly these questions are are getting to the heart of that, and I know we wanted to talk a little bit about. Um, aerodomes, because we've kind of had this idea of uh, air combat on our minds for a couple weeks that we wanted to talk about this. And this is one of those semi-superfluous districts that once it's built, you're stuck with it. And uh, I say superfluous, meaning like, uh, I like it, but you don't. And I thought we could kind of maybe get into that here. I think this might be a good spot to transition away. And uh, we can maybe talk about some of these other questions a little bit later on. But pulling I want to
1: make one more oh, inter- uh, yeah, yeah, remark, yeah. actually, about building use and stuff like that. And that is um, clearing forests and mm. rainforest, actually. Yeah. Because that is, like, usually when you're building a district, it could very well be that there is a forest or a rainforest in the way. Do you clear the forest and rainforest with a builder first? Or do we just accept that it's gone by placing the district there? And that's a very difficult question because clearing that forest will give you quite a bit of production actually Mm -hmm. clearing the rainforest will give you production and food so it becomes a really difficult choice is it worth it to do that because uh it could be almost like a third of a builder literally building building that city by clearing away that forest maybe even more i don't remember the exact numbers it's pretty big and it is a pretty big bonus, and uh, if, and like I said, I build builders usually in waves, and I usually have a couple of builders for those specific reasons with a couple of charges left, left over. Not necessarily ideal because I could be improving other stuff, but by that I usually have enough infrastructure that all my tiles that I'm working are being improved. Because you can improve as much as you want, but if you're not working to the tell, then it's not really useful. Right. And um, clearing that forest away just before you place a district—that's a huge boost that you can actually get out of that. So I, I would I would recommend people looking into that as well, because I think a lot of people don't because they don't have the builder. They have to get a builder for it and. Actually, they want to start building the district this turn already and uh, getting a build is going to take a couple of turns. Uh, it's really difficult to time that perfectly, but once you get that that a little bit more down and, and get more experience in that, uh, you can actually increase your play quite significantly, Significantly, I think.
0: I think that's a great point that you brought that up because I do the same exact thing that you just said. I, I often... Uh, way that I'd say about almost every time I'm putting a district down somewhere that has a forest over it if I have the ability to rip it up I question do I hold off on putting this district down that so that I can get a builder over there so I can rip that forest up so that I can then benefit from building something else sometimes it works out better than others sometimes if I if I have a good production queue already in mind of what I want to do sometimes that works well sometimes some of my cities are not doing well in the production queue sort of mindset like i'm like well I, the next thing i need to do is put this district down and until that point i really don't need more military units or anything else that can produce so i'll just plop it down over the forest and we'll forget that that ever happened but uh <laughs> yeah. yeah it's a real it's a real dilemma and i don't mean dilemma in a bad way i mean i think i think all of this is very good i mean we've said this from day one of Civcast and everything this is all putting more value on your decisions and you echoed that earlier in this episode um but there are times where I really regret a decision that I've made and and I know it's just a game and you just roll with the punches and you know there's no unless you literally get conquered because of your decision that you just did then you probably didn't do it wrong or that bad Uh, but there are times where I'm like, oh, man, I really just missed that adjacency thing that I could have really maximized my uh, efforts by planning ahead a bit more. And I don't know. I don't know what the end result of this kind of conversation is other than just to open it up and say it's kind of okay to ask these questions and it's okay to seek this advice. Because until you do multiple playthroughs with that civilization that has that unique tile improvement that has access to whatever that perk is i don't think you can really know how to kind of foresee those because you're kind of looking into the future right i mean you're trying to decide what i'm going to do with that tile 10 moves down it's kind of like chess we're 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 even more so playing chess than ever before
1: it really is. And that and that, with the, the way they, they designed this this uh, iteration of the game, they really want to make those kinds of things like, okay, I, I really need to make like a, so a five year plan for my empire. What <laughs> am I going to do in the next five turns? Yeah. Um, uh, and the timing of that is really difficult. And the more you play and the more that you have that moment, like, oh, I really should have had done that. Those are the moments you improve your game a lot because you really learn from those kinds of things. You really learn from those tiny mistakes that you make and you get a drive to improve in that so much that you actually do. Because next time you're going to double check, like, is there really no way that I could actually do this? Can I really not take that forest away before, or something like that. Yep. Um, and, and that's that's the great thing about this iteration of the game, that it really stimulates you into becoming better by making more mistakes somehow.
0: I think that is a great way to put it, Walter. I really do. I think, uh, like I said, you got to learn from your mistakes and I don't know. My, my, one of my tips early on in the game, very, very early on in this iteration of Civ, was to play things in online speed so you could learn from them as fast as possible if you have that. If you're having like a yeah. indecision, if you're, if you're getting paralyzed by fear about a district placement, play an online speed, play a couple different games with that leader and, uh, and figure out how it works.
1: But, uh, I really like the online speed. It's a, it's a great addition to the game. If you just want to pump out a game, yeah, I, you can do it in about three hours, I think, which is really short for a, a Civ game. So, yeah, I love it.
0: Is that what you're doing your, uh, any streams on? Like, are you doing it online speed? Or are you doing quick? Or where do you settle with that? I think I've asked you before. I forget.
1: Yeah, most uh, mostly if I stream, then I would do online speed. So I can do it in one sitting. Yep. And that's about three hours. So, yeah. That makes for a nice one.
0: So uh, if you're playing in online speed, that means you're probably more often than I, playing in standard, doing uh, some Aerodome play. So we're going to throw this up here on the screen so everyone can oh. see. Uh, my lovely Aerodome, Voucher's dreaded Aerodome. Uh, l- yeah. Let's converse about this and uh, quickly recap these uh, effects for people. So as you know, it is a district. Uh, so it's something you got to ca- account for population-wise, space-wise, all of that stuff. Uh, It doesn't get any sort of adjacency bonuses, so yikes, you know, for people that are just getting off of that conversation. Um, The first effect is it allows uh, its parent city to build aircraft. Uh, base for aircraft is, is what it serves as initial slots are four and it can be added with other buildings. So you can house more than four aircraft in there. Uh, the building, the buildings that you put into it provide, uh, XP bonuses for the aircraft produced in the parent city. So you're getting a boost, maybe a level up for your aircraft when they're built. And after the aircraft, or I'm sorry, after the airport has been built and the rapid deployment Civic is researched, land units can be airlifted to and from adjacent tiles of this aerodrome. Uh, unfortunately, here's something to note that I have not really, this actually explains a lot. <laughs> it lowers the appeal of nearby tiles. I didn't yeah, know that. People don't
1: like my- People don't like to live next to an airport. Come
0: on, man. What is your problem? You don't love the sound of planes screeching in at supersonic speeds and <laughs> busting your windows? I don't know. if That doesn't happen. Uh, but yeah. I will tell you right now, Valtur, this one that I'm highlighting, uh, which is the airport building, is my favorite reason for the Aerodome. As a guy that loves to play with the victory type that is domination and loves to deploy units all over the map in quick succession— I love having rapid deployment and being able to just airlift my units. So you tell me, yeah. knowing that that's my perk, what is your what is your thing you hate right off the top?
1: It's expensive, really expensive. Because airport aerodromes come really late in the game. Um, the base cost of the aerodrome is the same as uh, every other district that's not a, a civic specific, specific district, mm-hmm. but. The cost of district goes up the further you are on the civic and tech tree. That means by the time you can finally build them, they are insanely expensive to build, which is a super annoying. Um, they do, the buildings do give some extra production as well. But at that point in the game, I'm probably not building any new cities anymore. The cities that I have have some infrastructure already. And I'm not sure if I want to have the aerodrome built because the airport is really nice with airlifting units. Mm -hmm. But I could, for the same production, build a lot of tanks. And why uh, I think that's better. Then, sure, it takes me 10 turns extra maybe to move my enemies after I conquered uh, somebody on the east to the west, but I think that's worth it. Um, I can build up more units in the meantime the, to compensate for my losses. And instead of building an aerodrome, I can just build something that actually does better things for me. Just for the fact of of airlifting units, I don't think it's worth the the, the production that you put into it, especially because you need to build both the hangar and the airport. So that's so much production already sunk into that building because the airport itself is 600 production on standard speed, put another 465 for, for the hangar. That's another 1,000 production. You can build pretty good units with that amount of production.
0: Okay. Yeah, I, I can meet you there. That is my my weakest point for it as well, is that it really does cost a lot to get these up and running. And then the maintenance cost on top of it, you're looking at two for the airport, uh, two gold. Uh, you're looking at one for the hangar, and then the aerodrome itself is uh, another one. So you're looking at four gold going out. You are gaining, once you've got the airport and the hangar in there, you are looking at a plus five production, though. Plus three from the airport, plus two from the hangar. I don't think that that comes close to really solving your woes about it. But uh, I look at it like it's something. I mean, I don't think it really has the same oomph that it had in Civ 5. And at and, and that point, it wasn't something taking up a tile, um, but I guess just the idea that you could airlift units between cities. Um, I still remember the, the airport in that game being very expensive. So that's something that they've kept. Yeah.
1: It's just is yeah, an expensive thing. The big difference is that you need to build an aerodrome in this in this version where the airport used to be like a building you just put in the city center. Yep. Now, if the airport by itself was this expensive, you, but it's in the city center, actually, I'd probably build them often because mm-hmm. that would actually be worth it. But having to build the aerodrome, having to build the hangar, and then the airport... Uh, That's so much production wasted already that I feel like I could probably spend this production way better in different things. Um, The only other reason for building aerodromes is if you want to build air units. And Mm -hmm. uh, like I've said before, I'm not that keen on building those either. So to me, it just doesn't justify uh, the cost.
0: I think that's fair. Now, here's a question. Now, I would like to actually ask you, because we have time in this episode. I'd like to ask you why you don't like air combat. Maybe, maybe we could start that conversation. I don't know how large of one it is. Maybe it's something we, we hold over for other weeks later on when we're all back together. But, um, oh, where was I going with this? Oh. Is it something, and I know that there's a lot of tuning, a lot of tuning that goes into making these districts, so this would be a kind of a big upset. But do you think that it would ever be on Firaxis's radar to maybe take what you kind of said there and, and maybe reconsolidate this into a city center? I mean, if, even if that's unrealistic, is that something you would rather see, is that that moved into the city and they kind of killed off the aerodrome district as a whole?
1: I would like it. I'm ninety nine percent sure they won't. Um, they'd rather much. do make things a little bit different, tweak the cost, um, do something that'll make the bonuses better or something like that. But uh, I don't think they will ever, ever change it.
0: I think that there's too much like kind of r d and development put into this whole thing. I mean, you're you're making you're making icons and images for in-game and all kinds of stuff like that. So I don't think that uh, they would actually go ahead and kill it to that point. I think you're you're right yeah. to say 99%. But I do feel like this, and this, this perfectly ties back into the at the start of the conversation, which was uh, tile improvements. And y- your aerodrome uh, kind of goes hand in hand with that little hanger. What is it called? What is the little unique tile improvement called? The little hanger thing, voucher Do you know what I'm talking about? The
1: airstrip, about? I think. Or yes,
0: like that. yes, the airstrip. Do you ever, ever build the airstrip in addition because you can well, since for it. i don't
1: build aerodromes i don't but if i do build an aerodrome uh-huh. to build some uh, then i do actually build the airstrips because uh that's that's one of the big limits of uh, of the aerodrome in my opinion as well is that your units are built in that city for that aerodrome pretty much that means that usually the aerodrome is more in the center of my empire because there's where the production is for actually building it while i need it on the borders of my empire for fighting my enemies mm. and they those two don't co- collide usually so i need those airstrips to actually bring my airplanes that i build to the front because they have so limited range <laughs> okay so it makes it difficult
0: that makes sense. See, I've never run into that problem myself. I, in fact, I've run into the opposite, which is, hey, look, I've got all these aerodromes. Uh, why would I ever need to put down these air strips? And I've actually had a game where... I put down an airstrip or i had planned ahead to use an airstrip in a certain way that I thought that would benefit me. And with whatever mechanic that I didn't account for, I had a completely useless airstrip wasting a tile. And I, I don't really remember what it was now. It was a couple months back that I did it. But what a pain in the butt. I was very thoroughly annoyed with that that tile. And uh, it got me thinking of why, why is this even here? I mean, I, I'm in support of the aerodrome where you are not so much. And uh, I, I don't know. I was hoping that tile, the, um, the airstrip, would actually be something a little bit more beneficial for my playstyle, and it, it was not.
1: So it depends on your, how you, you build your empire. And if you have a lot of aerodromes, then that, you don't need it because you probably have some on your fringes uh, of your empire as well. Where I would, if I build one, it will only be one just in the center of my empire where production is high, so I can churn out those units uh, a lot. Because that's another thing. Like When you build that airport and everything like that, you've put a lot of production into it. Mm -hmm. Then the units that come out of it are really expensive as well. I mean, for the same cost of a jet fighter, you could get, for example, a mechanized infantry. I'd rather have the mechanized infantry (laughs) than the jet fighter.
0: I want both, Valtor. Uh, this leads us into this conversation. So, what what are your, are your issues with? Yeah, what are your issues with air combat? Is it is it production cost again?
1: Yes, mostly comes down to production cost. Like they don't deliver the bang for the buck that they cost. That that's pretty much it. Um, you have to invest so much in actually getting ready to build planes. And because you have to build the aerodrome, mm-hmm. then you have to build the airplanes itself, which are really expensive as well. Uh, they are high on upkeep. So I would rather have a mechanized infantry, on which which I can dictate to the ground game and uh, conquer the enemy cities with that. The, because they are just support units; they they don't do things so much by themselves. They are just there to support your your, your attack, and usually I find it more useful to have an extra mechanized infantry supporting my attack by blocking tile access, providing source of control, and stuff like that, limiting the enemy movement, than shooting with a plane.
0: That is fair enough. I mean, looking at... Uh, I have, what is this, the, uh, the, the fighter pulled up at the moment. I mean, he is seven maintenance per turn. That is a lot of of gold going to maintain uh, one fighter. And once you go to a jet fighter, I mean, you're going up another maintenance point. And these are just fighters. I mean, you'd want to have bombers. Now, I never build fighters, ever, 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 except for the biplane. Makes sense. Which the biplane accidentally leads into me having a couple fighters on hand. But I never intentionally, when I have the option to split down those things. And that was the same for Civ Five too. I never went and uh, actually split my money that way i would always go with bombers only unless there was the most rare of occasion where the ai might be effectively using a fighter to intercept and that never happens now one cool thing i would like to say that i do like about fighters biplanes etc is that you can kind of you set them to patrol an area they may uh, do the perform blah, blah, blah. they may perform the patrol and intercept incoming aircraft feature the patrol I believe is the one that sets them out in the middle, like it sets them on some tile and they kind of like spin around one another in air doing little aerial maneuvers. And that's kind of cool because it expands their range of attack a little bit, I believe, if I'm interpreting that correctly. But it's been fun so far using it. I enjoyed it and um, I don't know, I'm in agreement with you though. I, I feel like they're very underwhelming by and large. But there is a cool feeling to having like four plus bombers in a city and just going ham on on the enemy as they try and move their troops in towards you, and you just bomb them from above.
1: So, the only reason why I I think maybe some people like airplanes more than I do is for actually bombing cities' defenses down, because Uh at that point in the game, every city will have, like, wall-type defenses. Yep. And uh, But maybe the reason why I don't have to do that is because I already have a couple of siege towers built, that I'm still using. Because at that point in the game, you can't actually build siege towers anymore. So if you don't have any of those siege towers, uh, then you have to bombard your way through those city defenses, for example, with artillery or, or planes. But since I prepare for that in the game already, I have siege towers with my tanks and I can just push through anyway. So maybe that's why I, I don't use the planes because I circumvent the use of them, part of their use at least.
0: I would absolutely say that is a massive part of it. And I didn't even really think that that was factoring in until I, you started on that path. And I was like, oh, it's the freaking siege towers that valdir Scott. got. That's why.
1: They are really, really good in the end of the game. <laughs> you can't build them. So you have to have them beforehand. You need to, once again, plan ahead. But this time, like a hundred turns ahead, but you have uh, having a couple of those siege towers, you can just use your tanks and skip the walls. That's that's awesome. You don't have to use your planes to bombard that city defenses down if you just can circumvent them.
0: But 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 the history of it, Valter. The history. How do the siege yeah. towers work? We don't use those in 2017, man.
1: I mean, somebody posted on their subreddit once a picture of a siege tower tank or something like that. So it, it, it kind of works that way. But um, <laughs> I, I think that is indeed, now that we are talking more about it, that's one of the reasons why uh, it, I don't need to use planes. I don't need to bombard the city defenses down. Um, I just circumvent them.
0: That is that I think that I think that might actually be the split then in that way because I actively use jet fighters. i sorry, jet fighters. I'm reading what I have pulled up here. I use bombers to take down city defenses because, to be honest, I don't. I don't do the whole um, uh, siege tower <laughs> sort of approach. So. For me, I I need these bombers to go and take down walls. Um, because artillery pieces though they are great and though I will traditionally use a couple of them, they are way more clunky and clumsy to get over hills and to yeah. line them up and no, no 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 no. I just have, you know, 12 bombers between like two cities that are on the border and they just go ham, just like hammering that city and like I said, they also serve my other benefit, which is that if I'm not on the offensive at the time and they declare a surprise war, they just come for me in general, my bombers are there to really thin the herd of what is coming in. And, and we always have people asking yeah. us to speak about other games, and I would say I found these this air warfare the most useful— In Beyond Earth, which is maybe why I still have it in my blood to play with bombers now, is that in Beyond Earth, I can't tell you how many games I had better outcomes by using aircraft to thin a surprise attack that would be coming for me. I would just gut. And also in that game with the aliens, which are akin to the barbarians here, uh the bombers were perfect for that because you never knew when aliens were going to come for you and they were going to get mad enough to attack and those bombers just took them out. So it might, for me, be like a holdover sort of thing too.
1: Yeah, that's definitely possible because uh, I I, I agree that using planes to thin out the herd pretty much does help mm-hmm. uh, if you if you wanna if you ha- uh, wanna kill them. But I don't know, man. Having a couple of of, of ranged units in your yep. in your army is probably enough in most cases. Yeah, uh, to do that. And I don't I don't really need them. Um, I mean, th- uh, having artillery defensively is something I'd like to do as well. Just put one in my city, um, and just use that. So, yeah. It's Just not worth the production cost, in my opinion.
0: I think that's completely fair. I think it was a fun little conversation. I would, I would love to uh kind of check on Dan's thoughts on this down the line as well. Because, because air combat again yeah. is something that we might see improved. I, I don't know if this is realistic or I not. I hope so.
1: I really hope th- because it needs a buff somehow, yeah. Um, it does. Up the numbers on, uh, or lower the numbers for production cost, or up the numbers of strength for bombardment, for example. Then maybe, but I don't know what. I don't know what you have to do for it.
0: I I agree. Now I'm going to put out a crazy prediction here. And I don't even know if it's really a prediction. It's it's maybe just an idea or something I'm I'm wondering and hoping for. We've talked a lot about the next expansion and our our thoughts of it. Be- bringing in some more diplomacy and stuff like that. But we've also talked about how we're lacking future units in this game as compared to Civ V. We have no giant death robots and stuff like that. (laughs) I wonder... Do you think we maybe get a an expansion that's just maybe more endgame focused as is, like something that's that kind of revamps and retools the more modern eras? I mean, that would include potentially could include fixing up planes and making them have a whole maybe different combat system, something that's a little more engaging, uh, kind of retooling it from the bottom up. They've been known to do that to some degree, uh, you know, adding in some yeah. diplomacy, and then maybe even adding in some of these more endgame units that we kind of want to see more of. I don't know.
1: Yeah, maybe. Maybe in a large expansion, but probably it wouldn't be the first. It would be uh, a a second expansion or something like that. Because I remember that they said, we're going to bring the World Congress into this game, so probably that's going to be more focused for the first expansion. Um, I don't know, because the the whole science fiction needs to be retooled. Uh, which also means you have to retool the cultural victory because mm. otherwise you will be winning cultural victory before you actually can win a science victory that's a good point point. and th- those kinds of things make it really difficult to you need to revamp like 30 of of the game pretty much already yeah. to add that in um so i don't know if we're gonna see that i i I hope so. I would love to see some more modern type of things. But then again, how many deaf robots do you see walking around your, your, your country right now? I'll,
0: well, more than I would like to, to be honest. <laughs> I just don't know that they're full robot. But um, yeah, I don't know. We'll see. I mean, the World Congress is going to affect something as is, so... Oh
1: yeah, I'm super
0: excited for that. Speaking That's going to be super cool. Speaking of, I mean, we got E3 coming up around the corner, so I don't know. Are we going? we expecting to hear something from uh, forexis there? Because I mean, they they are definitely going. Um, they're doing. Two K is XCOM. there at
1: least? I've, I I saw Two uh, uh, K promoting their E3 thing, but I didn't see anything from Faraxis side promoting E3. So. Kind of doubt it.
0: Uh, well, I, I, this this is what I saw here. Uh, transition. Boom. Uh, for 2K and for Axis to present at the PC Gaming Show at E3. This mm. was three days ago. Uh, again, very XCOM 2 focused. But if they are going to say anything about Civ, I mean, they're going to have a chance to do it. So I don't know. I mean, we kind of did talk a few weeks back about the potential of an expansion coming this year. I don't know how likely that is, but... I mean, it might be a whole other year. I kind of hope not. I would love to see something Q
1: 4 I Q4? Expected it fall. Yeah, Q3 this fall maybe. Yeah.
0: Yeah, I I'm not expecting anything. I mean, if it were going to come now, it would be there'd be news on the street if it were going to come soon, but I would like a fall release. I mean, I think that that would keep it uh, interesting and I mean, obviously that that even goes back to to kind of help uh, rejuvenate even like Sifcast. You know, the, these bigger expansions <laughs> are kind of where we Uh, enjoy talking about stuff. And we're still kind of waiting for news on those leaders that were supposed to come out. So I wonder if Uh, E3 is keeping them a bit tight-lipped on those as well.
1: That that could definitely be a thing. See, the reason why, part of why I expect to hear an expansion be announced is also because people who bought the Deluxe Edition got all the DLC filled with the the coming Mm -hmm. up ones. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So with that all filled up, maybe they are now gearing up for a larger expansion, and that this one's going to be the summer summer patch yep. with the two DLC. Uh, whenever it's going to be launching this month or or in, somewhere next month, and then they can gear up in the meantime to the to next expansion. At least that's what I hope. Yeah. Because I I want it.
0: Speaking strictly on hope, I would much rather see, uh, let me think, I'd much rather see them do this big bulk of DLC in the summer that we've been promised, then bring us something between, I don't know, um, what, uh, like, let's say, October to December window, I'd rather see an expansion hit then. What I kind of don't want to see, and this is first world problems of course but i don't want to see it come in spring that feels like it'd be a bit too far off for for kind yeah. of the expectations that they have set um I, what i would instead rather see is it come october to december with the promise of more dlc coming after that and and basically rinse and repeat their cycle drop it in october yeah. give us some patches and dlc throughout the summer promise us again that next october october 2018 that we should be seeing another expansion in that window i think that's a very healthy release cycle for them i think it, it keeps interest going uh and, and and the community seems to be kind of hustling and bustling at a good speed right now we've we've noticed through both you know following reddit and stuff and through our numbers and everything that, that we kind of trickle off a, a little bit whenever there's no patches and then patches hit and there's a lot of excitement But I think if they would risk going too far, if they would say, "Eh, sorry, we're going to postpone this expansion, it's going to come spring 2018, I fear that they would hit too much of a dry patch that might actually adversely affect them. But that's that's just outsider thoughts on it. I don't know.
1: And if it's going to be hitting the end of the year, that also uh, is about the time that the game is one year old. So it would be ripe for an expansion, in my opinion.
0: Yeah. That's exactly it. So what? We were October twenty first of last year. Maybe we'll get something in October this year. We'll, we'll keep our fingers crossed. But maybe uh,
1: somewhere near near the winter
0: sale of Steam. Ooh, see, that'd be a good time for it. I would love that. Yeah, I enjoyed this I, uh, little conversation. Yeah, uh, I I am always down to talk about uh, <laughs> expansions and things like that. It's it's just fun to fun to think about what could be coming down the pipe here. Uh, but yeah. Valter, we're a little bit short on time for this episode. Uh, do you have a, a historical? Yeah, do you have a historical extra Dan or Dan? Look, I'm calling you Dan. But actually, Valter, yeah, are
1: you doing? I both? didn't prepare a historical minute for, for instead of Dan, unfortunately. But I do have a strategy tip where I'm going down the line of uh, the civilizations. Last time we did Tomiris of Asithia, and now I'm going to talk about good old Teddy. Teddy Roosevelt of America.
0: Please do Um, enlighten us.
1: (laughs) There are a couple of things with Teddy that um, people think is really good. For example, the founding fathers earn all government legacy bonuses in half the usual time. People think that's really good. It's actually really not that good. The legacy bonuses are quite weak in my opinion they're okay and they're nice to have and getting double of them is a nice bonus but it's not the the core power of teddy roosevelt teddy roosevelt shines in the cultural victory the the building that they get the unique building is the film studio which gives plus 100 percent tourism pressure from the city towards other civilizations that reach the modern era and that is such an amazingly high boost. There's, there's nothing really comparable to that boost for tourism that you can get into the game. Uh, that Teddy could win uh, a culture victory so much easier than most other civilizations just because everybody's going to get to the modern era. And if you're playing on higher difficulty, people get them before you even. So by the time that you build your film studio, boom, all of a sudden you increase your tourism output massively because it's a 100% uh, increase. That's huge. You just literally doubled all your tourism from that city. Now, the P41 Mustang, we talked about air warfare. I don't like it. Fitting. But a Rough Rider is actually a good unit. And we talked a little bit about uh, special units from from uh, Nation's last uh, episode. And the Rough Rider is pretty good. It's it, When it's fighting on hills, it gets 10 extra combat strength, which means that if you put him on a hill, he's really difficult to get off that hill. Mm-hmm. And if you kill... Uh, a killer unit uh, on the capitals continent you get culture out of that kill as well which does help you usually when you're going for a cultural victory or at least even defending for it based upon teddy Rosefield itself as well if you put a rough rider on a hill on your home continent that means he gets another plus five combat and he's not going to get off that hill you can't push him off anymore because that plus plus fifteen percent, plus fifteen combat strength, is amazingly huge. That is a big difference. That's the difference between an era almost uh, of combat units. So you, if defensively, he's really, really strong, and you can, you can use him offensively a little bit as well. But uh, yeah, Teddy Roosevelt, go for a culture victory with him. Um, also, the appeal of all tiles in a city with a national park increase, which means you can build more seaside resorts usually with them as well. Powerful. Go for a culture victory with this guy.
0: I I think that's great. I mean, Teddy Teddy is someone... I love having him in games. He tends to love me. Uh, <laughs> he's a good guy. I approve of Teddy. Uh, I'm very sad, though, that you don't like his aircraft, though. Come on, Valtor.
1: Yeah. Uh, But with Teddy, you can make everybody listen to rock and roll and wear your blue jeans. Woo! So, America...
0: (laughs) Uh America, yeah. Look, you managed to kind of fill both Dan's shoes and your own sessions shoes there. You talked about something historical, the founding <laughs> fathers, you know, we're just going to say that, that that covers both of those bases for everyone this week. Uh Valter, thank you so much for for being here for this episode and enlightening us with all of that great strategy uh info to the mats that commented and gave us these awesome ideas on uh our subreddit thank you guys very much for submitting these hope we kind of answered them they're kind of uh they're kind of larger questions that I feel we could maybe dig down on a bit more maybe if you guys want to give a very specific question or example of it on uh, on a thread or something maybe we could even bring that back for future episodes but just as is they're very kind of theory questions which are which are really fun to tackle on the show um, but I hope, I hope we got to the heart of even some of the things you were asking. Uh, some of the questions we didn't even get to fully touch on yet. Um, to Copper Coppercutter's question there about uh, wonders in the game. I direct people back to about episode 30. We did some really deep uh, thought on that where we talked about some... I believe his name is Peyton on Twitter, gave us a wonder list uh, and an Excel grid. So so. that was really cool. Uh, Big shout out to him for doing that. Go back and listen to those. You guys are always welcome to submit questions. We hope we can get to answer as many of them as possible. As a reminder, our Reddit, you can find it is civcast.reddit.com. Awesome people there. Growing community, which I'm really thrilled with. We're over 56 readers there, and we kind of just started pushing people to it in the last two months or so. So thank you very much for going there and and following and commenting and all that good stuff. But that's going to basically do it for this episode. Uh, You can find all the links you need to get the show. That is Studios.com forward slash CivCast. Also, we've got CivCastPodcast.com, forward slash CivCast. It'll get you to the same place there. Uh, Might be a little bit easier to remember. As a reminder, the June CivCast challenge is running. Uh, You can find that over on Reddit, like I said. Uh, Patreon, which is where we get all of our awesome support Thank you guys again for doing that. That's what's bringing the show to you live right here, right now. Uh, that is patreon.com forward slash CivCast. Trying to make it nice and easy. Uh, you know, you can go follow our YouTube, our Twitch, uh, our our Twitter, our Discord channel. You can find all of these things, again, back at the Kyle Dempster Studios link. Just wanted to shout that out. I know people are trying to get us to remember to shout out the Discord stuff. Uh, but make sure you hop on there. We can have a good chat someday. Uh, what else am I forgetting? Our Twitters. Uh, we are CivCast we're Civ underscore cast on Twitter. Mine is at Kyle Dempster Seven. Vouchers is at Innocentia sixty-nine and Dan's is at Dan the Max. Um, and I think that kind of does it. Voucher, am I forgetting anything? I think I, I think I snagged them all. That looks like so. it. Gee. Oh, oh, our email, our email, ah. civcastpodcast at gmail.com. I thought I was forgetting something. Uh, and then go, go check out those awesome people. Again, this is the last shout out of the week is the Podchaser crew. So podchaser.com, use the code uh, civcastbeta. Get in there, check out the show, rate some episodes, and give it your love and feedback. Till next week, everyone. Just one or two more. Two weeks for me. Oh, and two weeks for Valter. Just one more time. I'm going to miss you guys. You're listening to CivCast on the Kyle Dempster Studios Network. For more shows like this, visit kyledempsterstudios.com.